Hello, and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 122. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. As I was getting ready to record this morning, I was struck by a realization. I'm not a young man. I'm a youngish man. Probably, you know, if you look at the actuarial charts, I'm probably... Yeah, within middle age range, perhaps on the early end of middle age, you know, with clean living and good genetics. I record these podcasts, you know, 122 of them now, uh, once this episode is done. I record them in my podcast studio, which basically just means in front of my TV, where my various game consoles are sitting. And I, I play the games, a little peek behind the curtain here, I play the games sitting on the floor in front of the TV. Because uh, that's kind of what I got to do with the setup of the area that I have that my wife graciously allows me to use to do this stuff. So I do that, and then I could move all my crap to a table and sit there to record what you're listening to right now. But that would require effort, and I'm fundamentally, uh, as all of us are, lazy. So I just always figure 122 times now, I'm just going to sit here. I'll just stay here and keep recording, sitting on the floor. The thing is, I have a early middle-aged body, which is in good health, but doesn't necessarily love to sit on the floor for quite that long. So today I was thinking, man, I should really move to a chair because my legs really want me to do that. But, you know, fundamental lazy, so I'm not. So just know, people, that I am playing through the pain to give you this show. All right. And now that I've given you a moment to soak that in and, and uh, feel bad about yourselves, let's get on with the fun. I have on my news list here a Mad Mike Hughes update. But you know what? I, I just don't feel like it. You know, last week I reported that he has more or less abandoned the whole let's prove the earth is flat thing and just wants to race a really fast boat. And I just don't care about that. So I might check, with, check in with him again next week. But you know what? I'm going to take a Mad Mike break this week. I'm going to put away my bag of dragon chow because I guess we're not going to get to see the dragons at the edge of the earth anytime soon. That's disappointing. Maybe I could return it. Walmart takes anything back, right? All right, moving on. I was saddened, but not at all surprised, to hear that Fox has finally put the final nail in the coffin of a season 12 or the X-Files, at least for now. They make it sound pretty final, but, you know, in TV, nothing's final. Season 10 in 2016 got okay review, uh, okay ratings got great ratings to start with ratings fell off quite a bit over the course of the season it got the the season got a lot of criticism justifiably to some extent but they made a season 11 which just ended uh, last month I think which had actually a few high points in it you know, at least one episode that will probably go down among the great classics of the whole series and, and several others that were actually pretty good. And a couple of stinkers. But overall, they were getting better at figuring out how to do X-Files in a way that is consistent with the original series, but still you know, reflects the fact that it's 20, 25 years later, and the world is different. But you know, regardless, the, the ratings really fell off a lot from the beginning of even season 11 to the end. And Gillian Anderson, of course, one of the stars, Scully, has made it abundantly clear that she's done. She's not coming back. She wasn't going to come back for season 11, 
but she, like most of us, didn't like how season 10 ended, uh, and she wanted to give another shot for the fans. And she did. Uh, she didn't have to do that, but she did. And now she's like, all right, well, yeah, that's good. I'm done. And I don't blame her. So Fox was left trying to figure out how to do X-Files in a way that would please the fans, first of all, even though the fans weren't necessarily all that pleased already, and then on top of that, try to do it without at least Scully and possibly without Mulder, although he was, David Duchovny was kind of indicating that he might be up for doing it, even without Scully. But they apparently find it said, nope, we're not going to do that. So life goes on. There's plenty of other things to watch on TV or in the theater. How's that for a segue? Because there is a new, mm, quotes, Muppet movie coming out in August. Now, I hasten to add, this is not a, a Muppet movie like you're thinking. It's called The Happy Time Murders. So, first of all, it's got murder in the title, which suggests to me it's not going to be a lovable Jason Siegel, Fozzie, and Kermit road trip, sing a lot of songs type Muppet movie. I just heard about this actually this morning as I was getting ready to record. And I checked out the trailer. It's apparently a legit thing. It comes out in August. It's directed by Brian Henson, of course, uh, son of Jim Henson. He's done several other, obviously, other Muppet movies. Yeah, so it's it stars Melissa McCarthy, Joel McHale, and some other big names that I am forgetting at the moment. And I watched the trailer. Now, here's the thing. I will put a link to the trailer in the show notes. Do not watch it with your kids around. I did not, fortunately, which was good. The Happy Time Murders, the tagline, I don't have the exact tagline in front of me, but it's something like, we finally get to see what the Muppets are up to when the kids aren't around. It is a, at least judging by the trailer, and I gotta assume the rest of the movie is the same, and I'm also nervous because frequently the trailer puts the best things from the movie in the trailer. This is super dirty. The premise is that the cast of a beloved Muppet television show have been murdered. And Melissa McCarthy is a cop who has to team up with a Muppet cop to solve the murders. And yeah, so there's lots of cursing. There are a few homophobic jokes, which is a little troubling. And in one particularly notable scene from the trailer, there is pretty graphic, eh, very graphic Muppet sex how to say this in a somewhat friendly, friendly podcast. The the male Muppet gets very excited and um, expresses that excitement um, very enthusiastically. Uh, I'm going to leave it there. Like I said, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the trailer. If you like Muppets and you like the idea of seeing Muppets have sex, I guess this is the movie for you. I'm a long-time Muppet fan. I read books about Jim Henson. Weirdly, I have not watched The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth since I was a kid and don't remember much about them. I keep meaning to go back, but I never do. Uh, this movie isn't those movies, I'm sure of that. But because I am such a Muppet fan, I will probably see this movie. Without the kids, definitely. And I probably won't pay money to see it in a theater. I will probably wait until I can stream it or get the DVD or something. Rent it. I'm not going to buy it, probably. Because I want to see what sort of horrible spectacle this thing is but i don't know man I, I guess this movie is aimed at is not even trying to bring in the the current generation of kids into loving the muppets like you know the new muppets babies revival series is i guess this one is aimed strictly at adults like me 
who grew up with the Muppets and remember the the Muppet Show from TV and and the Muppet movie, the original one, and all that. But man, I would prefer to have another Muppet movie. I thought the uh, the Muppets with the Jason Siegel thing was great. I thought it hit all of the uh, nostalgia buttons and still did it in a way that appeals to modern kids. Muppets Most Wanted was okay. I, I didn't love it, frankly. Uh, even with Tina Fey, who I think is great in everything she does. Uh, I didn't I didn't love that movie, but I didn't hate it either. But if they could get the original team back to do another Muppets, I'd be okay with that. I don't need to see a, a, a Muppet in a movie blowing his wad. I, I just It's not something I ever uh, said, oh, you know, this Muppet stuff is fine, but I really need to see, you know, that. So, I, I don't know. It doesn't come out until August. I'm sure I'll have more thoughts about it then. If you guys, you know, this is a ways out, but if you guys see the movie and have thoughts about it, let me know. Yikes. All right. Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to make a note to put the uh, Happy Time Murders link in the notes. Oh, you know what? That is the end of my news for this week. So let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is China Syndrome from Spectrovision, 1982. All right, so I'm looking at the manual for the Spectrovision. Spectrovision, why is that so hard to say? Spectrovision, uh, China Syndrome for the Atari and Sears... Atari and Sears video game systems. I'm not drunk, I swear. We're told that for years, the nuclear power plant, Spectra Island, has provided safe and efficient power for the people of Spectraville. Now a devastating earthquake has changed everything. The core has been damaged, radioactive particles are loose, and threaten to overheat the planet. What? Threaten to overheat the... Threaten to overheat the plant. Yeah, I'm not drunk, but I'm also not wearing my glasses contaminate the town and may even cause meltdown. Only your expertise can save the day. Well, we're all in trouble then. So get your DDV, your decontamination diffusion vacuum, your joystick will do, and collect the escaping particles before meltdown and the beginning of the dreaded dot dot dot. Actually, it's a lot of dots. It's not even, it's not an ellipsis. It's uh, an ellipsis on steroids. Wow, look at all those dots. The dreaded Warning! Once the meltdown simulation begins, you cannot reset the simulator until entire sequence is complete, including all clear signal. You can, however, turn your machine off in desperation. <laughs> That's pretty good. This manual is so huge, there's a table of contents. Danger zone, getting started, entering the simulator, safety rating, warranty. We get a map of Spectraville. Um, we got, like, I don't know, reverse Florida. And then a little ways off, out in the uh, in the ocean, there is the little Spectra Island with the uh, core vents and the nuclear plant and whatnot. Actually, I don't know if those are core vents; those big cylinder things that uh, stuff spews out of. Welcome to Spectra Island. You have been given priority one clearance for this project. As an expert in nuclear energy safety standards, you have been chosen to be su supervisor of the entire plant. However, before your assignment can become official, you must first earn certification on a level 9 reactor. A special simulator has been set up that will duplicate a reactor emergency. The scenario is as follows. Okay, hold on. This is a video game. Why not just make the uh, game you actually shutting down a nuclear reactor? Why does it have to be a simulation? Doesn't that take some of the stakes out of playing the game? Anyway, the scenario is as follows. Spectraville has just been rocked by an unexpected earthquake. 
The nuclear reactor on Spectra Island has been damaged. Although the exact extent of the damage is unknown, our radiation detectors indicate various degrees of damage have occurred in each of the nine levels as well as to the core itself. Your mission calls for you to enter the reactor and collect the escaped particles of fuel that have leaked from the core. Success means sa saving millions of people. Failure means meltdown. It's too late. get uh, a lovely graphic of the Spectra Island nuclear reactor. Uh, we get the purple configuration thing, the, and then we get a, a cutaway view of the internal, which doesn't look like anything to me. There's oranges and reds and yellows and whatnot. We're using the joystick for this one. There's this whole complicated setup of difficulty switches. The joystick thing is pretty simple, right? You use the stick part. To move your robot arm, you use the fire button to collect the particles. But, the game uses both the left and right difficulty switches for your enjoyment. The right difficulty switch, A, means you get 5 DDV, decontamination, whatever they were, robot arms basically, per game. At, on the B level, you get three of them. The left difficulty switch, in A position, gives you uh, a robot arm that moves faster, and in the B position, the robot arm moves slower. There's also a take a break feature where you can put the game on pause if you push the color switch down to the black and white setting. The game will freeze until you switch back to color. Game selector. Game 1 is practice level, game 2 is the certification test, game 3 is the start you start the test at level 5. Game 4 is the children's game. Cuz there's nothing kids like more than nuclear power. I don't know if I said it in the field report. I played on level 2, game 2, the certification test. Spectra Island Reactor consists of nine levels. The nuclear core is at the bottom, is on the bottom of the reactor on level nine. Each level consists of three radiation zones. The three zones are distinguished as red, blue, and yellow. Your control panel has radiation indicators for each of the three types of radiation. The uh, the fans, I think I called them vents in the field report, but the fans are these big circular that you're supposed to touch. And they kind of look like, a lot of these things actually kind of look like sprites out of, um, Space battle. Not space battle. Space, what's the one we have to use the uh, keypad? Shoot. Space, space armada? No, it's in a television game. I can't remember now. We've done it on the podcast. Uh, I'm sure somebody will tweet at me to tell me what it is. It's the one where you've got the map, and you go back and forth between the map and the battlefield and whatnot. Anyway, it's not important. The manual tells us to use your DDV robot arm to locate escaped particles. Press the fire button on your DDV joystick to pick up the particle. Each radiation zone holds up to three escaped particles. As the escaped particles bounce off of the reactor wall, they split into two particles. Jerks. As the number of particles in each zone increase, the radiation levels increase. 
to get to the next level, you have to clear away all the particles in all three radi radiation zones before you can be lowered into the next level. You will be awarded an additional DDV when you enter each new level. You can accumulate up to nine DDVs at any one time. You must avoid the core vent. Okay, so I was referring to it correctly. Sometimes in this manual they call it the core vent, sometimes they call it a fan. Each radiation zone contains a core vent. You must avoid the vent by maneuvering your DDV around the vent. Any direct contact with the vent will cause the destruction of the DDV. Losing, your DD, losing all your DDV robot arms automatically, automatically initiates the meltdown sequence. Luckily, this is only a simulation, not the real thing. Then we get some uh, sample screens from the game. Can everyone see in the back? Okay, good. Test results are monitored throughout the simulation. Your rating is based on the level of the reactor that you reach. Your efficiency is based on the total number of particles retrieved. The lower the number, the higher your rating. What? Oh, okay, I guess you start with a number and it goes down. Level 1, 3 means you should try another profession. Level 4 to 6, you're a trainee. Level 7, assistant administrator. 8, you're a supervisor. And at level 9, you're a full certification plant manager. Completion of all nine levels entitles you to special recognition status. If you've done so, put your game in the pause mode and take a picture of the screen. Send your picture to our service center and you will be you will receive your due recognition which I think probably meant they would throw your letter in the circular file. The game cartridge had a limited 90-day warranty, and that's everything that this manual tells us. That is how you play China Syndrome. So it's a pretty complicated manual for a pretty simple task, right? You maneuver your robot arm, you avoid the core vents, you scoop up the particles. Pretty simple. Except if you fail, it means the destruction of Earth as we know it. No pressure. RetroGamer.net says, I've thought and I've thought. I've come to this conclusion. China Syndrome is the best game on the Atari 2600. Or as close as, damn it, is to swearing. He calls the game a little gem. And he's like, all you gotta do is keep the number of dots down with the intent of clearing the screen. You can't just rush around. You have to, you have to figure it out. You have to figure out how the dots move, how to anticipate them. You can't just run around like my mom does. Me and my family play this game together. To appeal to such a wide range of ages is a hell of a thing. Certainly when it's just something as daft as grabbing dots. The Atari Poop column on One More Castle wrote that China Syndrome is a 1982 action puzzle shooter-ish game for the Atari 2600 sandwiched between two unbelievable conspiracy theories. If you look on online, China Syndrome either refers to a movie, the video game, or a theory regarding the safety of nuclear power plants and that the first two are loosely based on the third. Apparently the theory was that the plants built in the 60s were not safe, and there was a, a concern that a loss of coolant could potentially cause a meltdown where everything would burn through the bottom of the reactor and continue straight through the planet center of the Earth and explode on the other side in China. He points out, were these people idiots? China, China isn't on the opposite side of the Earth in relation to the U.S. And he says, that's true to an extent, but the reason it's called the China Syndrome and not the Australia or somewhere off the coast of Australia, Syndrome, is because an American reactor never melted down straight through the Earth's core and exploded on the other side of Australia. He says a nuclear power plant in Detroit, known as Fermi-1, suffered a partial meltdown in 66. And he goes on to talk about that, talks a little bit about how the game works. It might sound simple, and the graphics might be, seem terribly basic, which is true, but the game itself is surprisingly fun. If you want to get your hands on a copy of the game, you might encounter a little difficulty, though. I actually didn't have much 
trouble. He says the game is somewhat rare and likely due to the fact that SpectreVision recalled the game several months after it was released, for a variety of made-up reasons. There are rumors that the game over-sequence caused several gamers' heads to explode, like the guy in Scanners. The game over-sequence is pretty obnoxious. I probably won't use any of that audio in this episode because, yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. My head, thankfully, did not explode. The recalled games were destroyed while new slightly altered games were sent back to retailers. These games had a few seconds removed from the game over-sequence, and what we were left with is one of the longest, most bizarre, ear-destroying game over-sequences in the history of gaming. We can only imagine what the unaltered version must have been like. Now, as we've alluded to, of course, China Syndrome was also a movie. 1979 American disaster thriller directed by James Bridges, and written by James Bridges along with Mike Gray and T.S. Cook, The plot of the movie has a television reporter, played by Jane Fonda, and her cameraman, played by Michael Douglas, discovering a safety cover-up at a nuclear power plant. It stars also Jack Lemmon and Wilford Brimley. Yes! It was released on March 16, 1979, had a budget of $5.9 million, and box office of $51.7 million. So it did pretty well for 1979. Wikipedia tells us that China Syndrome is a fanciful term, not intended to be taken literally, that describes a fictional result of a nuclear meltdown, where nuclear components... Uh, nuclear reactor components melt through the containment structures and into the underlying earth, quote, all the way to China. The film premiered at the 1979 Cannes Film Festival, competing for the Palme d'Or, while Lemon received the Best Actor Prize. The film was released theatrically, as I said, on March 16, 79, 12 days before Three Mile Island nuclear accident at Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, which gave the film's subject matter an unexpected prescience. Upon release, the film was a critical and commercial success, with critics praising the film's screenplay, direction, and thriller elements, and Fonda and Lemon's performances. The film grossed, as I said, $51.7 million on a production budget of $5.9 million. It was nominated for four uh, Oscars at the uh, 52nd Academy Awards, including Best Actor for Lemon, Best Actress for Fonda, Best Art Direction for uh, George Jenkins and Arthur Jeff Parker, and Best Original Screenplay. Not surprisingly... The film met with backlash from the nuclear power industry, who claimed it was sheer fiction. Except, of course, 12 days later, after the movie came out, Three Mile Island occurred. While some credit the accident's timing to helping sell tickets, the studio attempted to avoid appearing as if it were exploiting the accident, which included pulling the film from some theaters. The China Syndrome. It's about people. People who lie and people faced with the agony of telling the truth. People like Kimberly Wells, a television reporter paid to smile, not to think. A few words about a veterinarian who makes house calls on sick fish. Or is it aquarium calls? Richard Adams, a cameraman who never learned how to play by the rules. Wait till you get that other room, get that radiation all over that cute little body. Jack Goodell, an engineer who knows too much to tell the truth. In anything that man ever does, there's some element of risk, right? Well, that's why we have what we call defense in depth. And cares too much to lie. No accident. It will start with a tremor in a nuclear power plant. Where it will end will depend on three people. I would say you're probably lucky to be alive. Same for the rest of Southern California. Jane Fonda. Let's face it, you didn't get this job because of your investigative abilities. Kimberly, don't fight it. Jack Lemon. Michael Douglas. I don't know that accident is the right word. Accident is the right word. The China Syndrome. The harder they try, 
the more resistance they meet. They've got their own security men. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you want me to make it any clearer? The closer they get, no. the more threatening it becomes. No. The China Central. Today, only a handful of people know what it really means. And they're scared. Soon, you will know. The China Syndrome. Oh, and just for thoroughness, you already know what China is, right? I hope. It's a country, a huge country, with like a billion people in it. A syndrome is a, a group of symptoms that consistently occur together, or a condition characterized by a set of associated symptoms. And for the record, China is a populous nation in East Asia whose vast landscape encompasses grassland, desert, mountains, lakes, rivers, and more than 14 kilometers of coastline. Beijing is the capital. There are 1.379 billion people in China as of 2016. And thankfully, none of them have been irradiated by Jack Lemmon. So we can all rest easier about that. A nuclear power plant is a thermal power station in which the heat source is a nuclear reactor. Heat is used to generate steam that drives a steam turbine connected to a generator that produces electricity. As of 2014, there were 449 nuclear power reactors in operation in 31 countries. The first full-scale power station solely devoted to electricity production because there was a previous one called Calder Hall, which was also meant to produce plutonium. The one that was solely, the first one solely devoted to electricity was called Shipping Port Power Plant in the United States, which connected to the grid on December 18, 1957. The nuclear family is a phrase which refers to a family group consisting of two parents and their children, in contrast to a single parent family or a larger extended family, and to a family with more than two parents. Nuclear families typically center on a married couple with any number of children. Merriam-Webster dates the term back to 1947, although the Oxford English Dictionary has a reference to the term from 1925. While the phrase dates approximately from the atomic age, the term nuclear is not used here in the context of nuclear warfare or nuclear power, but originates in the same way as nuclear fission, from the noun nucleus, itself originating in the Latin nux, N-U-X, meaning nut, or that is the core of something. The nuclear family refers to all members of the family being part of the same core rather than directly to atomic weapons. Well, that just sounds like a, a conspiracy by the nuclear industry to... Uh, discourage us from thinking that nuclear families have anything to do with nuclear power because I know a conspiracy when I see one. All right, after the break, speaking of conspiracies, we are plotting to bring you more show, but you didn't hear that from me. Plutonium Mart. Now you really can walk into any store and just buy plutonium. Congratulations, America. Alright, I'm playing the game two, which I think is the initial certification level or something. I got my little guy, my little robot arm, which I've been sitting here playing this, trying to think. I've seen this arm before. It doesn't look so much like an arm as like a... Like a... X or 
frost hammers or something. First I thought it kind of looks like Yar from Yar's Revenge, but that's not it. I've kind of decided now that I think it looks like the Klingon ships in uh, whatever that Star Trek game is that I played on the podcast was. Uh, I'm not remembering it right now. If I think of it, I will look it up in the show notes uh, when I get to the rest of the episode. Uh-oh. I was in danger level. Ooh, I'm in danger level again. Too much talking, not enough particle collecting. Um, so the particles kind of, you know, leak out of the core vents, which are sort of randomly placed. This is a very disorganized uh, nuclear reactor, if you ask me. And you got the particles just sort of floating around. I'm pretty sure a robot arm is not how they collect uh, nuclear particles, but, you know, I'm not a physicist. What do I know? Uh-oh. Oops, that's not going to look good on my evaluation. So, Mr. Pepper, it says here that you let a nuclear reactor melt down. Yes, but I'm very punctual. And I know how to use uh, Excel spreadsheets. Actually, I'm lying about that. I don't know how to use Excel spreadsheets. However... If Microsoft would like to sponsor the podcast, I would certainly learn. What's with all these damn particles? Stop it! Must be on my coffee break. Uh oh, danger, Will Robinson. Did I do that? Oops, now he's walked into the core vent. Darn it. talking there for a second. I was just so busy collecting these particles. I kind of like in this game. Somewhat to my surprise. I don't know what, you know, ten-year-old me, nine-year-old me would have thought of this game. Pretty sure nine-year-old me wouldn't have seen the China Syndrome movie. Which makes me wonder who this game is targeted at for audience. nuclear turds. Please consult your physician. Uh-oh. Alright. Wait, not uh-oh, I mean... No! Thank you, Homer. In, uh, Lego Dimensions, which, uh, Henry and I still play occasionally, uh, mostly because I'm still trying to figure out the Doctor Who level, so I can get the Doctor to regenerate. If anyone knows how to do that, let me know. Um, anyway, my kid, Henry, likes to play the Homer Simpson level, even though he's never seen the Simpsons cartoon. Uh, his mother doesn't think it's quite appropriate for an eight-year-old. Uh, uh uh-oh. Meltdown. Now I think it's appropriate to go. Go! Wow, that's really an unpleasant noise. This screen drips blood red, literally. Uh, a sheet of red coming down from the top of the screen. For some reason it's making me think of the movie Deadpool, the original one, the first one, which I finally had around to watch last night. Uh, a lot of blood in that movie. Just saying. 
Wait for it. There it is. They're in my head. chocolate. The sulfuric acid is lactose and sucrose. C12, H22O11. Here's the thing about China Syndrome. I like this game. I was a little skeptical when this came up on the production list. I was like, I kind of heard of this movie, China Syndrome. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. But I thought, well, this is a weird thing to make a video game out of, because what I know of it is, yeah, it's about a reporter reporting on a uh, cover-up at a nuclear power plant. I mean, it's got kid movie written all over it. Maybe not quite to the extent of Happy Time Murders, but still. Uh, I thought this is weird. Uh, and the manual looked complicated, although as I read through it, it's really not that complicated. But as I was sitting here playing it this morning, I like this game. You know, the, the More Castles review, or the other one, the Retro Gamer re- review, talking about fundamentally what it is, is you chasing dots around the screen and trying to catch them. All this nuclear jazz is just sort of window dressing, right? And it, it, so it's simple in the in the best way that Atari games can be simple but addictive. I liked playing it. It was fun. It's colorful. It doesn't make a lick of sense in terms of nuclear power, but it's fun. I, that's all I can say, I guess. Of course, your mileage may vary. If you have thoughts, uh, either pro or con, let me know. All right. Well, let's get on to this week's story. Of course, the China Syndrome has already been made into a story, literally a movie with that title. But I don't want to say the nuclear industry is secretive, but to some extent it is, right? Because you don't want just anybody building nuclear reactors. So what if the, uh, the plot of the China Syndrome didn't quite go the way that it was portrayed in the movie? I, I get the movie's not uh, based on true events, or is it? What if there really was an intrepid reporter out there intrepiding all over this secret story? What if the tiny island, town, state, whatever it is, planet of Spectreville really was endangered by the nuclear reactor exploding? I have come across at great personal risk to myself the true story of what happened in Spectreville, and I'm going to share it with you now. Be afraid. No. I take that back. Don't be afraid of the truth. For the truth, in the right hands, is nothing more than fake news. Alright, here we go. Intrepid reporter Jane Fondestein hung up the giant black desk phone and strode purposefully through the newsroom. Cameraman, standard Michael Douglas character, was busy trying to tape a 9-volt battery to a camera so that he could record some B-roll later. When he saw his friend approach, standard Michael Douglas character picked up a necktie and said, Hey, does this super wide green tie go with my blue and yellow plaid shirt? No, not even a little, Jane Fondestein said. Perfect, standard Michael Douglas character said and put it on. Got a date tonight, taking her to the Sizzler. They do make a good Tom Collins, Fondestein said, nodding. Anyway, I just got off the phone with my confidential source at Spectra Island Nuclear Power Plant. You mean the plant supervisor, Jack Lemonade? Damn it! So what's happening at the plant, standard Michael Douglas character said. It's pretty bad, Jane Fondestein said. My source, Jack Lemonade. Damn it. Yes. Anyway, 
He says, the reactor is about to blow. The standard Michael Douglas character smirked, running his fingers through his long locks. You mean the streets of San Francisco could run red with nuclear sludge? Yeah, Jane said, and we're not even in San Francisco. That's how bad it is. What should be causing it? Standard Michael Douglas character asked. Well, I have a theory, Jane Fondestein said, and she didn't have to go far to confirm her theory. Right up the stairs at the network, in fact. The top floor of the network smelled of aftershave and desperation. Boss and nemesis, the programming executive Hank Swaggart, ushered the intrepid reporter into his office and made a pass at Jane, while literally drooling. Sorry, he said. Just came from the dentist. Well, sexy as that is, Jane Fondestein said, I just came to ask you something. Shoot. Is eating pot roast on TV trays in front of your TV shows on this network destroying the nuclear family? Swaggart sweated and chuckled. It wasn't pretty. Well, I wouldn't put it that way. I prefer to think people just enjoy our fine array of wholesome family programming. Families used to share meals around a table and talk, Jane Fondestein said. Now their attention is glued to idiots fighting plastic octopuses and women in short skirts on space cavern reruns. Swaggart shook his head. Television is an, an enticing and integral part of all our lives, Swaggart said. If getting more viewers requires destroying the nuclear family, bring on the mushroom cloud. Kaboom! Jane Fondestein smirked. So television is power. Swaggart nodded, still a little lightheaded from the fourth lunch martini, raising his palms in a, hey, what can I say, gesture. Aha! Jane Fondestein shouted. And by killing the nuclear family, you caused the Spectral Island reactor to overheat. Swaggart paused, considered how drunk he really was, and how that may be affecting what he just heard. Um, what? He finally said. Later. Um, what? Standard Michael Douglas character said when Jane recounted this exchange. Does it sound far-fetched? Jane Fondestein said. Just a little, Standard Michael Douglas character said, running his hands through his thick hair again. Besides, I was going through some B-roll footage I shot at Spectra Island yesterday, and if you enhance one section, you can see Jack Lemonade take a kickback from a known distributor of shoddy uranium fuel rods. Oh, Jane said. Huh. I guess that could be the reason the reactor is melting down. Huh. Well, anyway. So you want to pick up some Tom Collins mix at the supermarket and come over to my apartment to watch Space Cavern? I just got a new set of WKRP and Cincinnati TV trays. We insist upon nuclear superiority. Well, she said she thought nuclear weaponry and the control of nuclear arms against the Soviet Union of a nuclear arms race and insisting upon nuclear superiority. We insist upon nuclear superiority as a basis for future negotiations, the launching of a nuclear arms race of a very dangerous nuclear arms race. Support this nuclear arms treaty to abandon their nuclear ambitions. World and nations, get rid of your nuclear programs. Get rid of your nuclear programs. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at ataribytes.lipson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also check out the weirdness that I post on Instagram from time to time. You know already that you can find Atari Bytes on Google Play Music, 
Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, on and on and on. Whatever you do, you should go over to the Mushroom Cloud that is iTunes and unload your reactor's full power in an iTunes review for this podcast to leave a nice radioactive glow for other listeners to find this podcast. And then, irradiate your friends with knowledge of this great podcast as well. You can also support the show financially on our Patreon page at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Just look for Atari Bytes over there and uh, leave a little uh, donation if you're able. You can also pick up Atari Bytes, go play some old games they've missed you, shirts, mugs, other stuff, at our Zazzle.com store, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E.com. Links to that in the show notes as well. And if you have time, please check out my other podcast called It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. New episodes of that show drop on the 15th of each month. And we cover all things you ever wanted to know and some things you didn't know you wanted to know, but turns out you actually do about Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Charles Schultz, the strip, the TV shows, the specials, you know, special movies, the, the merchandise, whatever it is, we will probably cover it at some point. So check that out next time on Atari Bytes. This is exciting, guys. We're going to try something different with the podcast for the month of June. I am inaugurating Intellivision Month. Now relax. I was looking at my game setup here. I've got a number of old consoles. Atari, 2600, 7800, uh, Nintendo 64, PlayStation 2. And over in this one little corner, I've got an Intellivision. Uh, well... Actually, it's a Sears Telegames. I like my Telegames. It actually is the first console I had. Atari wasn't my first console. I'm sure I'll talk more about this in a television month. And I don't have a lot of games for it, but I do have a few. And I have sort of nostalgic uh, feels for having played these games as a kid. And I thought, summertime, you know, the rules get relaxed a little bit. Why don't we try something different? So every Sunday in June, we're going to play a different television game. We're going to kick things off with one of my favorites on the Intellivision, Birder Time. Uh, it's a classic. You guys all know Birder Time. So that'll be fun. We've done it on the 2600 for the podcast. Now I'm going to try it on the 20 uh, on the Intellivision or the Sears Telegames. Uh, so yeah, so that kicks off uh, next Sunday. And I look forward to that. If you guys have thoughts about the Intellivision in general or about Birder Time, let me know. And of course, until that happens, you should... Go play some old games. They've missed you. of your game. It's different. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. In school, they got geometry and English and biology. And I just don't understand a thing about it, man. I just don't get any of it. Well, what about chemistry? That's the hardest one. Did they teach you anything about the atom? The atom? <laughs> year after year, 
and I don't know the first thing about it. I can give you the basics of the atom in two minutes. You'll understand it perfectly and remember it for months. <laughs> two minutes? You're crazy, you know that? I can teach you about the atom in two minutes. You go back to school and finish out the year? How about it, huh? Come on, you're a betting man. How about it, Arnold? Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. You got it. I got your word? Yeah, you got my word. And two minutes. We got a deal. Yeah, we got a deal. All right, sit down. Three gangs on the street, right? Yeah, yeah, three gangs. And this, this right here is the territory. Now, here is the neighborhood. Got that? Yeah. And right in the middle of this neighborhood is a gang called the New Boys. Yeah, the New Boys. Good name. Okay. Out here on the outside of the neighborhood, on the edge of the neighborhood, is another gang. You know, these are real negative dudes, really negative, right? Right, right. Now, they call themselves the elected ones. All right, the elected ones. You got that really negative. They don't like nothing. Right. Now, they all the time out here circling around the neighborhood, just circling, you know, checking out the new boys. Now, the new boys see this, and they get, you know, they figure there's something wrong here, so they make a deal with another, another gang, a gang of very happy-go-lucky guys. They call themselves the pros. <laughs> the pros. Now, the pros are very positive cats. You see, they got all the good-looking women, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> see, now, the pros and the, and the elected ones, interesting thing, they hate each other. So much so that they keep the same number of members in the game. Just in case you did. Right. So if I got ten elected ones, how many pros do I have? Ten. All right. Now, how many gangs do I have? Three. Name them. The new boys, the elected ones, and the pros. All right. Who's here? The elected ones. All right. Now, what are they, negative? Yeah, negative. All right. Now, who is positive? The pros. And you're running out of time. All right. Now, you see right here, the pros and, and, and the new boys, they call their hangout the nucleus. Yeah. Now, see, that's a real tough word. It's Latin. And I kind of think it's Swahili, and it means center. Yeah. What is it? It's nucleus. Say it. Nucleus. Is that really African? Say it. Nucleus. You got it? Yeah. All right. Give me another Swahili word. It's, uh, it's a tron. It means dude. Yeah, tron, dude. All these gangs like that name so well, and they all decide to use it. For instance, the, uh, the pros right here in the middle start calling themselves protons, and the new boys, well, they start calling themselves neutrons. And out here on the edge here, the elective ones, they start calling themselves the elect... The electrons, the protons, and the neutrons. Yeah. And all this right here, this is the neighbor. This is block after block nothing. You understand block after block of nothing, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I know all about that. And your time is up, Professor DJ. Good. I was finished anyway. Now you going back to school, man. School? Man, all I know about is a bunch of damn gangs that live in a round neighborhood. <laughs> Arnold, that's the atom. That's it, man. That's it. What's this right here? Huh? Uh, protons and neutrons. All right, and they call this the what? Nucleus. All right, what are these guys up here? Electrons. Are they negative or positive? Negative. And how do they move? Round and round. And if I got two of them, how many protons do I have? Two. Now, are protons negative or positive? Positive. All right, now what's all this right here? Oh, that's the neighborhood. Which is? Nothing. You got it, man. You get an eight. <laughs> you know this stuff backwards and forwards. I do? Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs>